to All About Agatha, the podcast dedicated to reading and ranking every single mystery novel written by the queen of crime, Dame Agatha Christie. I'm Kemper Donovan. I'm Catherine Broback. And this week, we are discussing a Miss Marple story. First, though, I would just like to make a very short plea to our many listeners to please leave a review and rating for us on iTunes, as that will really help us out in our placement and rankings there and just help the podcast out in general. And also reach out to us on Facebook, because we love corresponding with you. Yes, of course. We love all of that as well. And we often forget to mention the rate and review thing, because it sounds so quite frankly mercenary but (laughs) at the same time obviously we love it when you guys engage with us yeah so please engage speaking of engagement let's talk about a miss marple shore story favorite we all know how much kemper loves miss marple Catherine is like stealing herself for dark marple (laughs) sadly for me there's very little of my dark marple theory in this episode (laughs) (laughs) That's true. So the story that we read for this episode is Ingots of Gold. And again, this is part of the Tuesday Night Club, wherein each story is narrated by one of the six members of the club. This week, we have the pleasure of a story narrated by none other than... Oh, my God. Perhaps the most garbage character in all of the Christieverse. One Mr. Raymond the West, worst. nephew I to think Miss everybody Marvel. knows my feelings about Raymond West <laughs> at this point, but what a nightmare. We'll get to talk a lot more about Raymond West in just a little bit. So this story was first published in the Royal Magazine in February of 1928, so we are back to the 20s here. And then in the U.S., under a different title, one of these curious titles for these short stories. The Scooby-Doo the, titles? The Scooby-Doo titles. The Solving Six in the Golden Grave. Ooh. <laughs> uh, and that was a couple of months later, also in 1928. So let's just get right to it and talk about our victim. This is a curious case of who <laughs> the victim might be. I guess the victim is treasure seekers the world over. And also new men... I'm doing that Newman. in my. Newman. I'm doing that in my best Jerry Seinfeld voice. Newman. And I'm shaking my fist when I do it. Hello, Newman. Damn you, Seinfeld. Newman is a gentleman who is friends with Mr. Raymond West. We're already suspicious of him. Indeed. Because why would you be friends with Mr. Raymond West? Nobody should be friends with Raymond West. <laughs> um, he should be friendless and alone. But Newman gets tied up and left in a ditch for, like, you know, I think more than a day. He does. Yeah, I mean, let's just say it up front. This is uh, not a murder mystery. No, so it's there not. is there is no murder victim. This is one of Christie's more um, crime capers that have to do with a theft, a grand theft. Um, regarding um, perhaps ingots of gold. Regarding perhaps ingots of gold. This uh, story is set in Cornwall in a house mm, where Cornwall. Newman lives. <laughs> Um, just just get it out of the way now, Catherine. <laughs> I, when I say Cornwall, you say... Cold dark. You've redeemed me. I am your humble servant. And I love you. <laughs> I 
Yeah, and I say Daphne du Maurier. <laughs> and I am just like, mm, wavy hair. Interestingly, both this story and the one are that we're going to be discussing in our, ne- our next episode, yeah, they're both in Cornwall. So I happened, I, this really was a coincidence, but I just happened to be reading My Cousin Rachel by Daphne du Maurier. I just finished it yesterday, in fact. And now I need to watch the many film adaptations of, well, I guess there are two. As you know, there was a new film of My with Cousin Rachel, Rachel that just came out with, with Rachel Weisz. My girl crush extraordinaire. I didn't realize it, but Richard Burton plays the sort of innocent male, or not so innocent, but the ma- the young man in the classic version with Olivia de Havilland. Still with us, by the way, Olivia de Havilland, for anyone who's keeping track, 101 years old also, this month. Also, if you've read any article with her, she is just absolutely the coolest person. And still seems pretty with it. She's with it enough to have given a lot of shade to the Ryan Murphy series feud. Oh my god, it's super super shade to like vanity fair yeah. she was just giving quotes from her fabulous fabulous set of apartments in paris mm-hmm. where she's lived since i think like 1952 or something like that oh my god and i'm like yes and they're like all beautiful like they might be she might have multiple floors she just like looks great mm-hmm. uh life treated olivia to Havilland, okay so basically what i'm saying is melanie one. Why don't you say it, you coward? You're afraid to marry me. You'd rather live with that silly little fool who can't open a mouth except say yes, no, and raise a parcel of mealy mouth bread just like this is sad, and not that we're conflating the characters so much with the actors, but kind of crazy. Vivian Lee died in the 60s, 50 years ago, and Olivia de Havilland is still here. Also, and this is even going to get creepier, but I feel like listeners of, to this podcast in particular would appreciate this. Every now and then, when I have a spare moment, I go onto Wikipedia, and there are two Wikipedia profiles I just check in on. One of them is Olivia de Havilland, basically to make sure she's alive, make sure I haven't missed anything, and just mar- Fair enough. And marvel at her career. And then the other person I do, who is the same age, is Beverly Cleary. Beverly Cleary is also still with us. First book published in 1950, when she herself was a not-so-young librarian. She also still with us, 101 years old. Amazing. That is amazing. I actually did not know that she was still with us, and that makes me... I'm not having a great week, Kemper. <laughs> and you know what? That makes me incredibly happy, and that makes me even happier about this podcast to know that. Right? Isn't that great? Also, by the way, married to her husband from 1940 till 2004 when he died. Aww. 64 years. And they also had twins. Go on Wikipedia if you're having, if anyone, Catherine, anyone else is having a bad day, go on Wikipedia, check out Beverly Cleary. I'm not joking. It will make you happy. Anyway, let's get back to some darker material here. All that to say that, you know, no one does Cornwall like Daphne du Maurier does Cornwall, except occasionally for Agatha Christie, because we also did recently have Peril at Endhouse, right? Set in Cornwall. Also in Cornwall, So, yeah. you know, she loves her and windswept so, uh, sea, seascapes. Indeed, and as perhaps our listeners have caught on to there's not a lot to talk about in this short story (laughs) so i think maybe we should quickly go down our suspect list yeah so newman we mentioned is this newman newman hello newman this fellow who raymond west is friends with so he lives in cornwall his house is called pole house and the town in cornwall where pole house is situated is called polperin But Newman himself is an outsider. It's just like poking me at this point. What? Everything has pole in front of it. Oh, God, Catherine. (laughs) 
you've redeemed me. I'm moving on. I'm not. I'm not indulging this. <laughs> so I'm your humble servant, and I love you. So Newman himself, though, is not is not Cornish. He's not a Cornishman. He is um, he's he's an outsider, and he is there to fund this adventuring expedition, essentially, to retrieve gold from a ship that was supposedly wrecked with the Spanish Armada in the 16th century. And that ship is the Juan Fernandez. Excellent Spanish Thank you, thank you. Doing Southern California proud. So Juan <laughs> Fernandez was apparently uh, lost off the coast hundreds and hundreds of years ago in the, in the Spanish Armada, and there was all of this gold bullion that was lost in the sea, and he would like to retrieve it. And Raymond West himself is very taken up with this tale, and this actually brings me to my first favorite part in this story. All my favorite parts in the story have to do with Miss Marple Burn Raymond West for being the idiot and the fool that he is. And this is just at the very beginning when um, he's talking about the Spanish Armada. So Raymond West says about Newman, he was an authority on Elizabethan times and he described to me in vivid and graphic language the route of the Spanish Armada. So enthusiastic was he that one could almost imagine that he had been an eyewitness at the scene. Is there anything in reincarnation, I wonder? I very much wonder. And then Miss Marple says, you were so romantic, Raymond, dear. And then Raymond West says, romantic is the last thing that I am. And he's slightly annoyed with her because she's called him out for being an idiot because he's an idiot. All right. Next suspect. Go for it, Catherine. Okay. So we have Inspector Badgeworth. He's obviously not a suspect, but he's a character who exists. And it's a short story. So you never know in a crazy story sometimes. No, you never know. Raymond meets him on the train going to Cornwall. And so he is investigating the theft of gold bullion from a different ship. So this is one that's recently lost, and it's called the Otranto. Right. So it's an entirely different ship, entirely different missing gold, so we think. And this gold is real, as opposed to the gold... Rumored Spanish Armada gold. Yeah, the Juan Fernandez, there really might not be any gold there. I have a feeling Miss Marble doesn't believe that there's any gold there, because she's <laughs> a little bit of a sharper tack than her nephew. Possibly so. Then there's Kelvin, and this this swarthy man is the barkeep in the village in the Three Anchors at Pulperin. He drives a lorry, and he hates outsiders. He is rather rude to both Newman and, I suppose, Raymond West and Raymond West seems to be kind of scared of him. There's just a lot of suspicion. Yeah, Raymond, surrounding Raymond him. West describes him as very swarthy and dark haired and yeah. possibly violent. Right. So let's talk about the world as it appears to be. Raymond West meets Newman. Hello, Newman. In London. And Newman. Hello, Newman. Tells him the story of the Juan Fernandez and about how he is funding this expedition to recover her gold. Raymond decides, while he is a famous novelist and so inventive and he loves a good story, he's going to go down to Cornwall and hang out with Newman. Hello, Newman. See what he's up to, like, learn about these shipwrecks, etc. 
Yeah, he also mentions that he's working on a novel. Yeah, I feel like Raymond West has a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, he said, I was working at the time on a novel, some scenes of which were laid in the 16th century, and I saw the prospect of getting valuable local color from my host. And here, this is my second Raymond West tangent. I would just like to point out what Christie had to say specifically about Raymond West within this short story collection, because she is delightfully dismissive of him and his writing prowess or lack thereof in her autobiography. And it just tickled me no end how dismissive she was of him. Here's what she says. This is when she's talking about creating the Tuesday Night Club murders. I gave Miss Marple five colleagues for the series of six stories. First was her nephew, a modern novelist who dealt in strong meat in his books, incest, sex, and sordid descriptions of bedrooms and lavatory equipment. I'm sorry, but describing what one writes of as a novelist as laboratory that might be like the best burn of a writer I've ever heard. Somehow that's not surprising, right? I think Raymond West is the kind of writer who, when he grew slightly older, he only talked about sexual dysfunction and prostate conditions. Totally. He's like a really bad Philip Roth. Yes, that is Raymond West, because Philip Roth... I like Philip Roth. I am not saying that I don't, but I'm yeah. saying that Raymond West is a really bad Philip Roth. He's, yeah, he, to- he totally is. He's a bad Philip Roth. Maybe in his latest book, he wants to get down and dirty with, like, the commodes in the 16th century or something. As they were... Possibly. <laughs> defending against the Scottish. thought it would be helpful to go to Cornwall to investigate uh, yep, that. Absolutely. So, anyway, uh, Raymond and Newman... Hello, Newman. ...are down in Cornwall at Newman's place, and um, everything is just kind of off-kilter. Raymond West is... The weather is making him nervous. He's just getting a bad feeling about everything. The town is uncomfortable with outsiders. Kelvin the barkeep says some vaguely threatening things and then there are a lot of caves yeah there are there are a lot of caves it's it's cornwall again pick up some de maurier watch poldark either version although i know which version Catherine would advise you to watch i mean i love you so apparently raymond west's misgivings pan out because he wakes up and newman has gone missing yes and a panicked raymond ends up contacting inspector badgeworth who he knows is down there since they met on the train and a manhunt is launched, and it takes a really long time, but they finally do find Newman, and he's bound and gagged in this ditch at the corner of his property, and he has this whole story that he went for a walk the night before, as he told Raymond West he was going to do, and that he came upon these smugglers, essentially, and this is so Jamaica in, by the way, and he came upon these oh. smugglers who looked like they were moving the gold from a cave where they had been secreting it to somewhere else but then they found him and they bound and gagged him and eventually deposited him on his estate and no one can find the gold they find the inspector badgerworth finds evidence that and yes in fact the gold seems to have been moved from one spot but now they don't know where it is and all seems to be lost and the other really funny thing about this is that the whole point of these Tuesday Night Club murders is that the person telling the story knows the answer so that they can check their answers at the end and whoever is right, i.e. Miss Marple every single time, has the benefit of knowing that. But Raymond <laughs> West... Surprise. Ha- surprise. Surprise. Raymond West doesn't actually know what happened because he's that much of a doofus. Well, he thinks he does know, right? Because he thinks... So, so let's flip over to the world as it actually is. Please. Well, there are really only two clues. And one is not exactly a clue, but a reader opinion. (laughs) 
So um, the first clue is that Raymond wakes up one morning and he sees the gardener outside. It's the morning when it turns out that Newman is missing. And so that makes it a Monday. And this is going to be important later. Yes. So he sees out his window the gardener and he is like very distressed about the weather and all of these other things. And he is convinced the gardener is digging a grave only for it to later turn out the gardener is actually digging a place for a rose bush. Dun, 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 is, is he? he? Well, I mean, this is, and this is a classic Christie misdirect, right? The whole framing of seeing this gardener is that, oh, it seems like this is actually someone digging grave, but it's it's something that's totally benign. He's just putting rose bushes in, but that's a Christie misdirect because we are given the information, and to be fair, we should have said this as we were telling you about the world as it actually is, but on the very first page, Raymond West says, the date of these happenings were, was two years ago when I went down to spend Whitsuntide with a man called John Newman in Cornwall. Astute reader would probably circle Whitsuntide because that is information that seems unnecessary that Christie is providing there. Not that either of us knew this being Americans, although it's totally possible that in different regions of the U.S., Pentecost and the dating of all of this in the in the calendar is just much more of a of a known thing than it was for either of us. But Whitsuntide itself is referring to the uh, period 50 days after Easter Sunday. That Sunday is Pentecost, and then the Monday after it is Whit Monday. So that is the time period at which all of these events are taking place, and we're notified of that on the first page when Raymond West says that he's spending Whitsuntide in Cornwall with Newman. Hello, Newman. This is important because we need to know that what we're talking about is a holiday weekend. Yeah, that's all. (laughs) For non-religious listeners, that is a gimme on the first page of the story. We would love to hear from people if it actually is different in the UK and, and potentially in the UK in the 20s, but... I suspect that Christie chose a holiday such as Pentecost and Whit Monday because even then, and among a Christian community, it wasn't as major of a holiday as Easter or Christmas, obviously. I at least feel confident that I grew up Catholic, and I always knew when Easter was. I always even knew when Lent was beginning. We all, you know, we know Mardi Gras, we know Ash Wednesday, Palm Sunday, the week before Easter. I think it's um, really, really important to Eastern Orthodox. I think that among her audience, it was a clever holiday weekend to choose because it may have passed the notice of many of her intended readers, and it certainly passed we, my notice. We, we say, well, we say that, and we would love we to be have, corrected of that if that's yes. not the case, or so, not even corrected, but just educated on how well known the holiday of Whitsuntide and Pentecost slash Whit Monday is. Well, is it a bank holiday? And right, right, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's basically the key concern because what we're going to end up talking about is why. Why does that matter, right? Right. So it matters in that, and this is what we were talking about with the classic Christie misdirect, that all that business with the gardener, like, no, he's not digging a grave, he's doing work. Well, it's Whit Monday, he shouldn't be doing work because it's a holiday. So that gardener can't actually be a gardener, and that immediately puts the suspicion on Newman. Newman! That person was in the employ, presumably of Newman, if he was on that estate, and it should make us suspicious of Newman, who we weren't suspicious of since he had been 
bound and tied, but of course people can be bound and tied and still part of a plot at the same time, as we have seen before. Indeed. Second clue is Raymond is a dumbass. (laughs) We know that because we hate him and he's a garbage human being. I mean, I guess if you don't think that about him, then this might not have been an obvious clue, but... He's the one telling this story, and he's universally wrong at all times. So if he thinks that Newman is a good guy, probably Newman's not a good guy. Someone whose heart is so dark it cannot be swayed by pity, emotion, or human compassion of any kind. Yep. And so guess what? Newman did it. Newman did it. Damn you, Seinfeld. This whole thing was a ruse, and we should mention that all the suspicion falls on Kelvin because of what Newman was trying to do was fr- to frame poor Kelvin, the barkeep, <clears throat> and, with he his success- story. and he successfully does it. He does because there's this whole business with tire marks that they're able to match to the tire on Kelvin's lorry. Fortunately for Kelvin, though, the lorry happened to be parked for that evening across the street from an ill person who had a nurse, and both of those people were able to say that they had been awake the entire night and that they had not seen or heard the lorry leave its spot. There's a lot of shade thrown by one Joyce Lamprier on sick people oh and nurses not actually she telling like, the truth. Yeah, she was like, well, they all fall asleep and nurses are liars. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, she's basically like, everyone is a liar except for me. Honestly, she, yeah. she, she and Raymond seem like they're kind of perfect for each other. I know I was having, I, I was softening a little bit to Joyce, I think, in the you last were, of you these. You were softening on no, Joyce and I told no, you you were wrong. No, she's no good. Anyway, that complicated matters, and the Tuesday Night Club goes around, and they all have their theories. Of course, Sir Henry has insider information, as he tends to. So he can't say anything. So he can't say. We don't really need to go through what the others say, because it's wrong and bad. And Miss Marple, of course, gives him the answer. And that is that Newman was a career criminal who was never looking into gold bullion from the Spanish Armada, but was instead intent on stealing and secreting the gold bullion from the recently shipwrecked Otranto. As Sir Henry Clithering explains later, his story about the Juan Fernandez was a cover so that he could explain away why he had a diver in his employ. And in reality, that diver, of course, stole the gold from the Otranto and the supposed gardener who Raymond West saw planting alleged rose bushes was, of course, another henchman burying the gold on Newman's property to be taken away at a later date when no one was looking. And she also does this. This is, again, now another favorite Raymond West burn here. And she says that she he should make better decisions of people that he hangs around with. Yeah, well, it's even better than that, though, because she doesn't even say anything, because she's probably thinking in her head, well, all of you never want to hear from me anyway, so I'm just, I'm just going to sit here and let you be <laughs> stupid among yourselves. So Raymond says, go on, Aunt Jane, haven't you got anything to say? In a minute, dear, said Miss Marble, I'm afraid I've counted wrong. Two pearl, three plain, slip one, two pearl. Yes, that's right. What did you say, dear? That is some passive aggressiveness on the on Miss Marple's part, and I love it. She's like, let me focus on my knitting, because my knitting and my stitches are way more interesting than you idiots. So once she gets that under control, then she... Going to my dark marble theory. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, I don't even think that's dark marble, though. That's just awesome marble. So then he says, what is your opinion? And Miss Marble responds, you wouldn't like my opinion, dear. Young people never do, I notice. It is better to say nothing. Again, passive, aggressive, whoa. <laughs> so Raymond West says, nonsense, Aunt Jane, out with it. 
Well, dear Raymond, said Miss Marple, laying down her knitting and looking cross at her nephew, I do think you should be more careful how you choose your friends. You are so credulous, dear, so easily gulled. I suppose it is being a writer and having so much imagination. Boom! Down goes Raymond West. Shade toss. Oh my god. And she says, obviously it's Newman. You useless pustule. That whole story was ridiculous, and the tire mark that matched with Kelvin's tire, you can change a tire. They, they, they put that tire that had a distinctive marking onto Kelvin's lorry that was part of the framing of poor Kelvin. And Sir Henry Clithering once again confirms Miss Marple's brilliance. He says Newman has another name, several other names, in fact. And at the present moment, he is not in Cornwall, but in Devonshire in, wait for it, Dartmoor. Prison. A, a prison yes. we have visited uh, before in... The Sitterford Mystery. Yes, the Sitterford Mystery. Maybe he was out there on the moors trying to escape with Violet's father. Maybe so. Newman. Newman. Good night. No. And the story does also end with a tiny, another tiny little dig from Miss Marple with her knitting needle into Raymond West's arm or eye. She gives the deduction about Whit Monday, and she says, when you are a householder, dear, and have a garden of your own, you will know these little things. Right. But for now, you know nothing, because you are nothing, Raymond you West. You know nothing, Raymond West. And that's the end of the story. The only other thing that I would make a note about in this, which I thought was kind of funny, Mm -hmm. was that the ship that sank Mm. is called the Atranto. We wanted to bring it up briefly for readers who don't know. The Castle of Atranto by Horace Walpole is a founding text in a lot of ways of the gothic novel. Absolutely. So much so that Northanger Abbey, which is a favorite of mine, I Mm -hmm. love Northanger Abbey. It's a little bit of a parody of that kind of Castle of Castle of Atranto book. Yeah, and Anne Radcliffe. Definitely Anne Radcliffe. For sure, Anne Radcliffe. Yeah. I took a gothic literature course in college, and uh, one of my favorites that I read, because Anne Radcliffe, I actually read Anne Radcliffe after reading Northanger Abbey, because it's mentioned so much in Northanger Abbey. I was like, I have to read some of this Anne Radcliffe. And I slogged my way through uh, The Mysteries of Rodolfo. Yeah, yeah. But the one that is truly a page-turner still, and I highly recommend it, to listeners out there is The Monk by Matthew Lewis. It is shocking. There are shocking things that happen in it that shock even me with a 21st century sensibility. It is story, story, story. You cannot put that thing down. It is so good. And Anne Radcliffe actually, I remember learning that she wrote one of her books in response to The Monk because in most of the Anne Radcliffe's, it seems like horrible, dastardly things are happening, but she usually pulls back from them. A couple of weird, awful things happen and there's some supernatural stuff but a lot of the really awful weird sexual in some cases things that seem to be happening never do happen believe me it all happens in the monk it's 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 insane right well, well so. right and so so north and gravity the joke is that every expectation is that something horrible and violently sexual and something right. else is going to happen and of course nothing does like there's one scene when she's looking in drawers I remember and she thinks she's finding you know a letter written by a captive maiden or something like that and it's a bill (laughs) it's like a bill for like underwear the best thing the best (laughs) thing about Northanger Abbey is that it makes fun of readers right and so we have a good sense of humor about this and so I think that we can all appreciate that sometimes we might take things too seriously Mm mm-hmm yeah Northanger Abbey is doing exactly what Scream did 
for yes. the horror movie. Well, genre. except that Scream it's, actually did murder a bunch of people. Sure, they were kind of having their cake and eating it too, actually, which you could argue is harder. I suppose. It's much more purely a parody in Northanger Abbey. It's not like we're ever actually scared, but it really is delightful. But if you haven't read it, you should please go out, run and buy it, because I think it is wonderful and so light as a book. I don't mean this to be offensive, because Jane Austen thought so too. Right. <laughs> totally. She thought it was like her little, she did it to amuse her siblings. It was not a serious novel. So just go out and just enjoy it. Have it be a beach read. But back to Otranto, I think it's funny that the ship is called Otranto because what it is doing is calling attention to a little bit the ruse in it. Yeah, and the, the gothic ruse here of shipwreck and gold bullion, and it ends up being a very mundane sort of a thing where Newman was in on the gold that was being moved, and that was it. He was yeah. There were some like there were some criminal. clever criminals who were gold thieves. Right. It feels like a deliberate reference anyway. Um, so I guess, yeah, those are marching orders there. Read Castle of Otranto, read Northanger Abbey, The Monk. Go check out Beverly Cleary on Wikipedia. Go read any interview with Olivia de Havilland. Any interview with a recent interview with Olivia de Havilland. And also Beverly Cleary, by the way. That's because that is also why it's delightful that she has all of her marbles with her still as well. Bottle whatever the two of those ladies are eating and drinking for their century Trans, plus of living. Probably. <laughs> well, Beverly Cleary is in is still in Oregon. Maybe it's that clear air of the Northwest. Join us next week when we will discuss another Miss Marvel short story, the next in this Tuesday Night Club series. That one is called The Bloodstained Pavement. Ooh, yet another spooky title. Also set in Cornwall. And also so that you know, our next novel Mm -hmm. is Murder on the Orient Express. What? Yeah, can you believe it? So um, that is... You know, as much as Kemper loves some Miss Marple short stories, I think that we are just really excited for Murder on the Orient Express, and so we want you guys to be caught up with us. Yes, we we have that to look forward to in the future. And in the meantime, please do contact us, engage with us on email at allaboutthedame@gmail.com or on Facebook. Our Facebook page is All About Agatha. We are also on Instagram at All About Agatha. And, of course, we're on Twitter at All About the Dame. Catherine personally is at Robcat. I am at Kemper Donovan. And as we mentioned at the top, please do take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We would really appreciate it. And we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye.